Just read what it says. Rolling, take one. Oh my god, we're recording. <laughs> Do not use that. <laughs> Is it going to be all right? Hello and welcome to All Through a Lens. This is the podcast about film photography where we discuss a little more than just film photography. I'm Vanya. And I'm Eric. We've got a packed as hell show for you today. We'll talk shooting with people or not. We'll call up a very special guest and we'll dig into color photography before the invention of color film. We'll also finish up our trilogy on zine making, plus zine reviews and other random bullshit. But first, Vanya, how the bloody hell have you been? (laughs) Well, I had been sick, basically, uh, <laughs> the past two weeks. It's been awful. I had the flu. Okay. Um, so Was this the man flu? or is this like It a- was not the man flu. Okay. Okay. So you were able to function as like a normal human being for most of it without complaining. Um, I was like out Ooh. for two days. And then after that, I was like, okay, I need to get up. Okay. So I've been functioning, just not very well. Okay. Totally not the man flu. No. Okay. <laughs> I have managed to do a few things i just feel super tired and everything takes longer okay but you surfed today so i'm gonna call bullshit on some of that (laughs) i did (laughs) i did i i went surfing today it felt a little bit better but it's still kind of tiring just like paddling and i don't know you could just like feel your energy like it's just oh i need to get stronger wow going to the beach all sunny on a on a winter winter day it must be so rough for you. And you got to hang out with a whale and everything. I did. I saw a whale today. It was the coolest thing ever. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was a gray whale. It's great. Gray whale like the gray skies surrounding me. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so I tested the Minolta Weathermatic that you gave me. Oh, yeah. And I can confirm that it is watertight and working. So that's going to be fun. So I'm really excited about adding that. It's basically like a little yellow submarine. It's adorable. So thank you so much. You are welcome. You paid for it, but you're welcome. (laughs) I did pay for it, didn't I? (laughs) I forgot about that. I Venmoed you 20 bucks for it. But we'll call it a gift. Okay, well, you paid for shipping, I guess. So. I guess so. You're right. You're right. Uh, Marley and I went to the Natural History Museum and Science Center also. I planned on shooting in the Rose Garden, but it was closed, which is weird. So we'll be back in spring. Uh, I did manage to take a few pictures of her around the Rose Garden. I brought my Yashica Mat 124G and I shot some Kodak Portra 160. So maybe for the next dev party, I I will develop that. That is a great idea. Yes. So anyways, enough about me. Yeah. What have you been up to? Well, I'm really excited because I've been shooting all winter and I've never really done that before. And It's like you've never mentioned this before. Let me be excited about my my small accomplishments. No, it's amazing. Sorry, I didn't get to surf with whales today, but (laughs) I do have a a wonderful cat on my lap. So maybe uh, step off. Wow. Yeah. So a couple weekends ago, I braved the gray and chilly weather to slide through an intersection on the way to visit Whidbey Island. I took a ferry, which is kind of cool. 
Wait, you slid like it was icy or did you hydroplane from water? It was icy. Oh, that sucks. Yes, but the temperatures warmed up and I was expecting a really drab and rainy day, but soon the sun was shining and the temps were soaring high into the low 50s. <laughs> my my destination was Fort Casey. It's a Endicott era artillery fortification built to guard Puget Sound. That's the not ocean that's near me. <laughs> so right now this is a state park, but the fort itself is pretty well intact. It was built of iron and concrete, mostly concrete, with its labyrinth of tunnels. And, and some of them are lit, and some of them are dark, and I forgot my headlamp, so I had to stay towards the lit ones. So I took the Intrepid, the 4x5, mm-hmm. as well as the Mamiya 645, which light leaked all over the place. And I don't know why. That's still a mystery to me. Basically, the only usable photos I got were like the large format photos or the ones taken with the 6x7 back that I talked about uh, during Dev Party. Yeah, I did see some. You did some um, very long exposures. I did. I did a minute long exposure. I love doing It's so easy because you push a button and you're just like, I'm going to check my email. Just look at your phone for a just, minute. Yeah. Hopefully someone doesn't walk into frame. Oh, there's nobody. There's just nobody around wherever I go. So there was nobody else there? I went on a, a hike-ish thing down a bluff and then up the other side of a bluff. And on this trail, there's an old bunker that I didn't know about. And yeah, there was nobody else at that bunker. It was a really tiny one-room bunker. And yeah, there's nobody else there. And you can just go in all these bunkers. You can just like roam around all over the place. Most of them are open. Yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty much free-for-all. That's so fun. Yeah, it's really cool. Well, I've seen some of the pictures that, and you've posted some. They're pretty amazing. Thank you. A lot of cool lines of light and texture. Because the sun was out, I got shadows. Oh, look at that. Yeah, (laughs) and I was paying attention to shadows, which is something I don't do much and that you get on me about for not caring about so much. (laughs) So I took a few pictures for you and they they did turn out very nice. I like them. That's so good, Eric. I'm so glad you're roaming out of your cave, your winter hibernation. Before we dive into the answering machine, we'd like to announce that we finally have our stock of Tasma Micrat 200 ready for sale. We're calling it the Slow Meow, and it's available through Eric's Etsy site. There will be a link in the show notes. Yeah, we've talked about this film quite a lot, and we'll post a gaggle of sample photos. But basically, this is a Soviet-era microfilm with an ISO of 12. Now, now don't be too afraid of slow film. See, like on a sunny day, you'd shoot this at f5.6 in one one-hundredth of a second. Pretty easy. As far as developing, we've got times and formulas for Rodinal and HC110. You can also stand develop in either. We're selling these in packs of three. 24-ish exposures each for 12 bucks plus shipping. We'll ship anywhere in the world, though if you're across the sea, it's gonna run you. Since we're not, at least currently, doing some sort of Patreon or coffee thing, this is how we're helping fund the podcast. So if you love us, you will buy our film. <laughs> fuck <laughs> no i think you'll like it it's 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 something that we're trying out if we if this one works we'll maybe do some other kinds of emulsion or whatever but we really dig this film tesla 200 is something that we've both shot a, a bit of and love it quite a lot yes very much check the show notes we'll also post about it on various social medias and the like meow 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 
Meow. So on the last episode, we asked our listeners if you like to shoot with people or shoot alone. And we got a bunch of answers. We did. So let's check the answering machine. All right. Push the button. Hello. No one is available to take your call. Please leave a message after the tone. Hi, this is Jessa Hills, uh, Instagram name Jessa Hills, and I guess it really depends on the people. Um, I recently did a trip by myself up 395 in California, and I had a great time adventuring, and then I just did another trip with another photographer friend, um, sort of in the same area, and we totally had a blast exploring places together, and it's nice to have someone encourage you to pull over and check that out and not feel like a weirdo doing it. Also feel a little bit safer at times out in the middle of nowhere. I like both. I like shooting with people, and I like shooting alone. So that is the vaguest answer I can give you. Absolutely not vague at all. Bring up some good points about traveling alone, and it could be much safer when you're traveling with someone. And I think if you just have the right person that doesn't mind to stop and hang out on the side of the road while you meter and grab your camera and what lens and blah, 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 then you're stoked. See, you say it's safer to travel with another person, but as a white male... I don't think I've ever experienced that. I, I'm pretty sure it's just as safe to travel alone. Shut up. <laughs> Hi, Eric and Vanya. This is Denise G316. And to answer the question this time, um, I like to go out and shoot with like one or two other people. I feel like if the group gets too big, like on photo walks and stuff, I end up shooting by myself anyway because I'm slow and everybody takes off without me. But um, with one or two other people, you can kind of stick together and, you know, collaborate a little more and try some ideas and bounce ideas off each other. But since that happens so rarely for me, I don't let that stop me and I just go out by myself too, which is still fun. I enjoy my own company. <laughs> so um, either way is fine. I enjoy both. I think that sounds like how I would be on a photo walk. I would be just kind of like, okay, you guys, go on without me. I'll be here, not with people. Bye. <laughs> Hello, Eric and Vanya. I have only shot by myself so far, but I would love to shoot with others. And part of that is, is I'm a writer, and that is so much on your own until it comes to the editing phase. So I think with photography, it's it's just a, another way to tell a story. So the more people, somewhat the merrier. As like a writer, I, I do get that. I get that you, I, I mean, I really feel comfortable being alone. And I think it has a lot to do with most of my life, my creative thing has been writing. This is Jamie Maldonado, and I don't know how to use this thing. This is the first message I've ever made. Anyway, I'm just trying to say that um, I like shooting with people because I react to people more than I think I react to things. Also, in the presence of others, I tend to be more bold. I tend to take more chances. chances. I tend to feel more emboldened to go into things or to go into situations. And maybe that's because I also feel like the payoff is higher. I agree. I could see myself being a little bit more bold with someone with um, getting some encouragement and maybe trying something new. I'm going to assume that you mean other photographers, and there's only one other person I've ever shot with, and he does digital, but it still works out great. I think there's a few reasons for that. We have so much respect for each other that patience oftentimes isn't an issue. We work really well together, and I encourage somebody to go out there and try to bridge the gap with a digital shooter. Have you ever shot with someone? No. Like... 
digital, I mean, anybody shooting digital? <laughs> no, not since I've really taken another, since I've really started getting more serious about film mm-hmm. and kind of taking like a long ass time. Uh, for every picture I take, the digital person would probably be able to shoot a hundred or so. Yeah, probably. They'd still only get one they liked, but <laughs> but I can throw a little bit of shade here and there. <laughs> Good morning. This is Suzanne Lopez, and I really prefer to shoot by myself because I tend to find that my creative juices flow better that way, and I have no idea why. But going out there by myself, being able to go from place to place by myself, not worrying about whomever else or whatever else, I just seem to be the most productive and the most creative and come home probably the happiest with my work. I agree with her too with that. I mean, if you think about it, you're you're not you can't blame anybody for any of your mistakes. Like you went out there by yourself, you were prepared and you had all the time in the world to shoot, so So why did you fuck this up? <laughs> well, I mean, maybe I would say that, but it could be a lot of fun to just be on your own, listen to whatever you want. So are you suggesting that if you shoot with somebody else, you will blame them for your mistakes? No, but maybe I would be more distracted. Oh, definitely. Probably more distracted. Definitely. <laughs> For me, oh, oh definitely. <laughs> Ancillary Adams here, uh, formerly Memories in Silver. Honestly, I would rather photograph with other people because I like seeing other people's style with shooting. But my problem is I'm pretty much a lone wolf here. So there's not that many people around here that do shoot film like I do. So when we do get together, it's really nice. But more often than not, it's just me doing a solo project. I feel like we're getting a lot of people saying they want to shoot with other people, which is kind of interesting. I thought it would be more leaning towards not shooting. Hey guys, this is Matt McDonald of Mac Shoots Film on YouTube. So yeah, when I am shooting, I shoot portraits, so it's another human being, usually a female, in various states of undress. So I really appreciate another person present, specifically a female uh, assistant, who can help put that female subject at ease, have that you know conversation while I'm fiddling with settings, worrying about composition, uh, lighting, all of that. It just makes everyone more comfortable and at ease during the shoot. But if I'm out on the streets, I definitely want to shoot with my friends. Landscapes, let's shoot with friends, because that definitely is more fun with friends. I do agree. Having an assistant seems helpful to keep things more comfortable. I've never shot anyone like that, but if I did, I'd probably want someone to help me out. Like, if, if we go shoot again, yeah, we'll probably be each other's assistants. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Personally, I love shooting one-on-one with a subject, and going out with other photographers is fun, but sometimes that can also be a hindrance. It really depends on what you're shooting. Like, if I'm shooting sports, it's hard to focus if I'm... Because I'm always thinking about the other photographer and want to make sure they're having fun and stuff. So if it's just me, then all I have to focus on is myself and the subject. I hope that voice message works. This is Dave Rollins here. I don't know how to do this. I'm not really good at social media. What's up, guys? (laughs) Uh, hold that thought and we'll go into the next one. It depends, really. I'm with someone who kind of understands my my goal for the shoot and someone who will you know, provide good company and not, and not distract me, then sure. But otherwise, I just like to shoot alone because it kind of varies about how I'm feeling on the day of the shoot and 
what I'm doing, like portraits, landscapes, street. No, and the person as well, because I have a close friend who I go out on shoots with all the time, and I feel comfortable around him, and I say, do you want to go on a shoot? And it doesn't really matter what genre of photography is, we can just get along. I like the idea of when you're out with somebody looking out for them, just make sure they're having a good time. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of a, I know it's probably something that I'm bad at doing. No, I definitely do that. Same with like what Dave said. I think I would probably be like worried to make sure that they were, you know, having fun. Yeah, are you okay? Are you, are you doing all right? Do you mind that I'm taking a half hour to set up this fucking shot? Well, don't take a half hour. Hurry up. God damn. Hi, all Thrillens. This is Danielle, or at Girl with Too Many Cameras on Instagram. I would say normally my preference is to shoot alone. I really like having that flexibility and freedom to do whatever I'd like. But one lovely exception is my mother. She shoots digital and I shoot film, and it's just the best of times when we get to go on a hike together and we help each other pick out different scenes to shoot, and she is just, it's just the best. I love it. Keep up the great work, guys. Thanks. Aw, I love that so much. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I got my mom a camera last year for Christmas. It was uh, something fairly simple. I've been showing her how to use it, and uh, we took a walk around Big Bear Lake and shot some stuff together. It was a lot of fun. Uh, have you done that? Like with your, because your dad used to shoot. Yeah, he got me my first, which is the, the K1000. That was the same camera that he shot with. And so that's the camera I learned on. Okay. So, but I never really went out shooting with him other than, I mean, maybe when I was much younger, we were just both taking pictures because that's what you did. It wasn't like we're out there shooting film, we're just taking pictures because digital didn't exist yet. Oh, I think you need to go home and do that. Go home, Eric. <laughs> go home. Hey, guys. You want to say gay? Call him out on here again. And uh, another tough one, eh? I had to re-listen uh, the podcast three, four times. Uh, first, to find the question again, because I was just lost in uh, your guests' answers and stuff. Uh, and then a few more times to just to think about it. What, what's, what, what do I mean? Uh, and seriously, though, uh, photographing, I think it's kind of like smoking. You, It's fine doing it by yourself. You take up... Bit of cancer on the way to work and uh, going out for a break and take a bit of cancer and there and there. Uh, and it's, it's fun, it's fun to do with other people, it's fun to do in special places and for special occasions, like take a uh, smoke in the shower. That's oh, that's a hit spot, uh, and, but yeah, I... okay. Um, I've never smoked in the shower before. <laughs> I'm not uh, sure if he was recommending it or not. I couldn't really tell. No, I mean, I get what he was saying. I guess he was relating it to, like, socially smoking. Like, if you're at okay. a bar with a bunch of people, like, that's something that people do. They, like, go out and smoke a cigarette. Even if they don't smoke, they go out there and they're like, oh, all right, let's fuck around. I don't know. That's just not something in my life that I can really relate to. I know. <laughs> I'm, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. That sounds fucking awful. <laughs> <laughs> So I guess we should answer ourselves. What do you yes. think, Vanya? What do you think? I would say I like a good balance between the two, but 
that's probably something that I am lacking. There is not a good balance between um, me shooting with people and me shooting by myself. I think I shoot by myself for the most part. Uh, I think when I do shoot with people, which is honestly kind of rare, I feel inspired in the way that they see the world compared to me. I think it can be beneficial to shoot with people. You can learn from each other and be a little bit more well-rounded as a photographer. Um, But on the other hand, I long for solitude as a mom. (laughs) I'm not... (laughs) I haven't really had that much like alone time. It's been a very long time since I could just be alone. So um, now that I have a little bit more time, I find myself having more opportunities to do little mini solo trips. And it's so very exciting for me. Um, I like being able to pull over and shoot something for as long as I want. And um, I think maybe some people take that for granted. I don't really get that. Are you talking about me? Maybe. Wow. So, yeah, because like when I'm on family trips, it's like I don't want to inconvenience everybody. But there's so many times where I drive by something like, oh, my God, I want to shoot that. So what about you? Well, for the most part, I've really only ever shot by myself. I like the silence of it. I like the solitude. I, I really enjoy how long it takes to set up a shot. I know. Sorry, I do. Being alone <laughs> means that I, I don't really feel any pressure to be hurried uh, to get back to the car, back on the trail. I don't need to catch up or wait for somebody, and, and I don't have to make somebody wait for me. Uh, the time is is just all my own. But the idea of... of shooting with somebody who matches my speed and kind of my mood and all of that is really intriguing. So if I'm not rushed or held back, I think I could gain a lot of experience and see the scene through a completely different set of eyes. I'm a pretty patient person. So even if I have to wait a bit for this mysterious partner to take her shot, I'd be able to watch how another person interprets the scene, which cameras they choose, which emulsions. I could note the differences between us and soak up the new ideas and knowledge that the other person could give. The prospect of shooting with somebody, and that's really exciting. I'd I'd like to be able to take everything I've learned and apply it to when I'm alone. So it makes alone shooting a little more interesting, a little bit different than what I normally do now. For instance, in the incredibly short time that I shot with you, Vanya, you inadvertently showed me how to use the Mamiya RP67. Yeah, I remember you were completely over it. You hated it. (laughs) I really did. You often shoot really low, and prior to shooting with you, I I didn't really shoot all that low, which is sort of a weird thing to say. I mean, it's waist level, so you're always kind of shooting low, but you shoot like fucking ground level. So (laughs) you, you saw the way that I was shooting it, like really awkwardly, and just kind of like... I don't know what to do with this chunk of metal in my hand. You're just like, shoot low. Uh, it's something that since that point, I've really kept in my in the forefront of my, my mind when I'm shooting pretty much anything. I think that shooting with more people more often would give me uh, similar lessons that I could take and apply when I'm not with those people. Yeah, like shoot high. <laughs> I can't do that. I'm really, I'm really short. Oh, bring a ladder. So for this episode, we're going to give a call to someone you've shot with quite a bit, Vanya. Yes. Yeah, we're giving a call to Marley, your daughter. So, (laughs) Vanya, let's give Marley a call. Marley! Mars! Come here! Hi, Mom. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, so we somehow managed to get my, my daughter in here to answer a couple questions. She has a very busy schedule, so it's good that she cleared some spots for us. Yeah, very, absolutely. Very busy. <laughs> All right, so you ready to answer some questions? Surely. My name is Marley. My favorite color is purple. Um, <laughs> my favorite animal is uh, narwhal. Nice. Um, yes, yes. Only the male narwhals have the, what it seems like to be like a horn, like a unicorn horn, but it's actually a tooth that grows out of their upper lip. So wait, the female narwhals don't have that? Nope. So how can you tell them like the different, how can you tell them apart from whales? Exactly. You can't. (laughs) They just look like weird whales. Well, my mind is blown. I know. I know. <laughs> okay, so quick uh, introduction. Yeah. Marley is my daughter. She's 12 years old and she lives with me. I take her to school every morning and I pick her up. Yes. And on the weekends and during the summer, we go do fun stuff. Mm. <laughs> yes. That was convincing. <laughs> All right, so let's, let's ask her some questions. Yeah, okay, so we got a first one. So because you grew up with your mom shooting all the time, do you think that you see photography in a different way than other kids your age? Uh, definitely. I also asked my friends this, mm. and a lot of them kind of saw photography as, like, seeing it in, like, museums or, like, watching their parents, like, take pictures of them at, like, school things <laughs> just on their phone or at, like a spring concert having their like grandma with their like digital cameras like recording them and I kind of saw it I kind of see photography differently as in like I see more of like the art of photography not necessarily film photography but just all different kinds of photography yeah okay this is because you were raised kind of with that as sort of like the the idea behind it yeah and i think i kind of have the eye of it too like the Mm. i can see the aesthetic that it holds or like i can notice more things about it like the colors or some shadow or something nice i did do a few art shows and she you know she came to them at a pretty young age Mm -hmm. So I think she's kind of been surrounded with art in her life. Nice. So the question we asked listeners to call in about was whether you like shooting by, um, whether people like shooting by themselves or with others. Okay. (laughs) Just read what it says. The question that we asked our listeners to call in about was whether they like shooting by themselves or with others. Have you shot with anything apart from me? Do you think you would view things differently if you were alone? I don't know if I would view things very differently because my mom doesn't really or you don't really help me that much. I mean, maybe you would like point out something that would be cool to take a picture of. But mostly I kind of notice it by myself and see like what would look cool and what would look good as a picture, (laughs) I guess. Yeah, I didn't even know she had some friends come over a couple weeks ago. There was just a bunch of noise (laughs) happening in the bathroom. I had no idea what was happening. And then she was like, hey, mom can I borrow your camera? So she ended up doing like a little photo shoot with her friends and they did the whole like milky bathtub with the flowers. I had nothing to do with it at all. (laughs) That was just like 
she did it all on her own. And I thought that was really cool that she felt confident enough to just give it a shot and yeah. go for it. So um, can you think of a time when I was trying to take a picture of you, like a vivid memory that stands out? Because there probably are a bunch of annoying ones. Oh, yes, definitely. A lot of annoying ones, but not always. <laughs> Not shots fired. (laughs) Vanya, not always annoying. Yeah, they're not always annoying. I mean, (laughs) I don't really mind pictures being taken of me unless I feel not very, like, good. Like, if I feel like I don't really look good in that moment, then I don't want to have a picture taken of me. But, I mean, that's anyone. But a vivid memory that stands out to me, there are a lot, but um, there's this one picture where me and my cousin Luciana are in Hume Lake in Sequoia National Park and we are like in the lake and we're just like making a funny face at my mom's camera and it kind of didn't really feel like she was taking a picture of me because that's kind of just how we felt and we decided to we were like oh let's take a funny picture yeah it's just a fun happy moment (laughs) and now you have a picture of it (laughs) yes and it's taken with my favorite camera as well the Minolta a Minolta what uh XC7 so you grew up with your mom shooting film. This is at a time when most people shot digital exclusively. So was film kind of uh, sort of the natural way to take pictures? Or did you not differentiate? Or did you wonder why she didn't use it digital more? Or was it just kind of like, this is just how mom does things? I wondered why she didn't use the digital camera more, definitely, because I felt like it was just seemed way more convenient. But then once I kind of realized and could differentiate the difference between each um like i can now i can see why she took more film pictures because i think it looks cooler to be honest and you can always put a bunch of filters or like put grain on digital cameras but i feel like there's just some kind of experience that comes with shooting film when i was younger my mom would definitely more take her film pictures to the store because i felt like she was kind of scared to develop it herself Hmm. But now that she does develop it herself, it feels more convenient now because when you would take it to the store, it would take, like, not too long, but it would take a while to, like, get your pictures back. But now she just does it in, like, one day and you can get your pictures fairly quickly. Yeah, so you're kind of, you're seeing, like, the whole process Exactly. Yeah, that's really cool. So when Eric was a kid... He's ancient. We're really close to the same age. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, so when we were growing up, we didn't we didn't have phones. Number one, I didn't even get a phone. I think till I was. We had phones. We just didn't have like cell phones. Cell phone. Okay. Mobile yes. phones. Mobile phones. Mobiles. I didn't get a mobile phone till I was at least like 18 or 19 years old. But uh, we didn't have phones attached to them, so it was a little bit different. Uh, Now that we do, photography is kind of a part of everybody's daily life. But if you put the phone down for a bit, which would be nice, Marley. (laughs) Just kidding. Go on, I gotta say a little bit. And picked up a regular camera, do you think you would shoot something differently or would it be about the same as you do with your phone? I would shoot things much differently. Um, when I take pictures on my phone, I don't know if I would call it photography because it's not very artistic, I guess. I just kind of take pictures, you can take pictures of whatever you want and it's not like you have like 
32 pictures that you can take. You can take as many as you want. And so that kind of makes my pictures on my phone just kind of... You can take... I just take, like, a lot of the same thing, I guess. But with when I take pictures with a camera, I find myself saving my pictures a lot more. I guess I'm not very good at, like, taking a lot of pictures because I just feel like they're going to come out wrong or something. Do you, Does any of your friends have cameras? Not really. Everybody just uses their phone? Yeah. So you're fairly new to social media, and you're 12... What do you think about Instagram? Good, Um, bad, ugly, all of it. mm. So (laughs) what's good about it, I'd say that you can, I mean, you could share all of the wonderful pictures that you take without having to be some famous person or without having to put together some art show. It's really cool to have, see how uh, other people can find inspiration off of Instagram and put it into their own pictures and also just spread the love of photography. What's the bad about Instagram, you would say? A lot of things can be stolen, screenshotted, reposted without permission. Bad things can be shared on there also, like unhealthy things for anyone to see. Like like in class today, we read a article about Rosa Parks and, and it was written by Barack Obama. It was talking about like all everything that happened. And I guess like segregation and discrimination can be also can also be shared on Instagram, which is not good. And it's kind of just an easier way for people to share all of their negative thoughts. Yeah, that was uh, one thing that kept me off of uh, Facebook. Oh, definitely. I'd say that there's it's more on Facebook because it is the older people that more <laughs> likely has those opinions than the kids of today. Well, it's sad, but it's also refreshing. <laughs> yeah, but it's also, there's a new generation and things change a lot. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, I need to take this asshole out again. I'm sorry. <laughs> just give him something like like Give him one of the give him a chew I toy. Did. I gave him a chew toy. Really? He already chewed it. Yeah. Cody, you need to go. I'm trying. <laughs> he is so rude. I know. I just threw a bunch of blueberries all over the carpet, so <laughs> let's go for it. <laughs> okay. He has like a time to to look for them all. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what else to give you. <laughs> blueberries i was like here get those (laughs) fucker sorry excuse my language excuse me (laughs) i thought this was a family friendly show oh it isn't he can edit that out i really (laughs) hope he will so moving back to photography how do you think black and white changes the look of a scene for example like if you're familiar with a location see the beach or something in school how would photographing it in black and white maybe change the how you felt about it I think that black and white gives a lot of emotion to it. And if it was something in school, it would, like, make me think of something that happened in school. Like, I mean, schools, no one likes school. (laughs) So it would kind of show, I think it would show that emotion of school. For me, it kind of brings out the darker things about it. Like, even the beach, it's like, oh, like, at the beach, like, you could get eaten by a shark or something. So it has more of an ominous feel to it. Exactly. That's the perfect It reminds me of a Dead No Fan song. Wait, what? I don't want to be at the beach. I don't want to be on the beach. No fun. I don't want to be on the beach. No fun. I don't want to be on the beach. I don't want to be on the beach. 
So with the last one, I think this will be the question that we are asking listeners to call in about for the next episode. So y'all listen up. Real simple. We'll probably get a lot of calls. But give us one and just one photography tip. I have this thing on iPhones that you can do. So what you can do is there's this new thing where you can take a live photo. And here, I'll take one of you, Eric. (laughs) Wow. So what it does, sadly, this is only on iPhones for now. But what you can do is if you hold on to it, then it kind of, it shows like a video of like before the picture, which is like kind of like kind of sus. The line. Like they were like videoing your camera before you took the picture. Yeah, sure. That is weird. Like kind of weird. But what you can do is if you like swipe up, then it shows effects. And if you scroll to the end, it's you can make it into a long exposure picture. So it's the entire like video into one long exposure, and it looks it makes it look really cool. So it just took the whole video of you, and you moved. So you, so I'm all blurry. Yeah, like you're all it, blurry. Like it, like it took a long exposure and moved during the long exposure. It's pretty cool. It's just like an iPhone thing, I guess. You can also do it with film. Exactly. It yeah. kind of just. She will do these long exposures on her phone, and then one of these days I'll be like, hey, let's do a long exposure on a film camera. <laughs> and maybe she'll be interested in it at some point. No, I think that's great. I think I think things like that with it, whatever, I don't, know, I don't know from iPhones, but whatever was going on there with the iPhone, you can take that and go, hey, look, we can do this with film. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So basically, Marley will do things in reverse. This one? She will, She you know, she has a phone, she takes pictures, she does digital stuff. This isn't a long, this is a double exposure, but... That is a double exposure. It's pretty simple. But eventually, really if she ever wanted to do one with film, she could. Well, I, I mean, we think it's reverse, but I guess it's not reverse anymore. This is just how it happens now. Yeah, you're right. We're We're old. <laughs> We're old. You're old. I'm just kidding. You're not that old. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Marley. Well, thank you so much for coming in and joining us. You're so welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yay. Bye. I'm going to go practice my saxophone. Bada boom, boom, boom. The first color emulsion appeared on the market in 1935. This was called Kodachrome, though it wasn't the same Kodachrome as we get later. Still, it was the first, and yet, we've all seen color photographs from well before this time. So how did color photographs even exist before the invention of color film? The history of color photographs leading up to the invention of color film is long and complicated. We'll try to be brief and keep things simple. In the end, we'll also teach you how to make color photos using black and white film, similar to how they did it in the old days, when all they had was black and white film. But first, let's go back to a time before photography. In the 1700s, there was a theory called the trichromatic color vision theory. This held that the human eye could really see only three colors, red, green, and blue. All other colors were mixtures of these three. We're obviously oversimplifying things here, but bear with us. So in 1855, a Scottish physicist named James Clark Maxwell took this idea and made an experiment where a disc colored with specific proportions of red, green, and blue could be used 
to create any color he chose. As part of his paper on the experiment, Maxwell theorized that the same could be done with three black and white photographs if properly shot and tinted. While he didn't test his photographic theory himself, he employed an English fellow named Thomas Sutton to illustrate his lectures. Sutton was basically successful, though he had no idea why. For instance, he was able to reproduce red even though the film he was using was unable to capture any red at all. The reasons for all of this are incredibly complicated, so we'll skip it. Regardless, Sutton longed for a black and white film that was red sensitive to fully bring his and Maxwell's ideas alive. And though Sutton wasn't able to make this work, a French photographer named Louis Ducos du Haron not pronouncing that anywhere close to right, (laughs) was able to make an emulsion that was somewhat sensitive to red. This took hours to expose, however, and was basically impractical. Several photographers tried various chemicals in semi-successful attempts to achieve red-sensitive emulsion. It can't be stressed enough how difficult it was to figure out. These photographers didn't have a chemical store to drop in to see if something worked. For the most part, they had to stumble upon it through trial and error or invent it themselves. All along the way, Du Huron was watching and basically stealing their ideas, incorporating them into his own experiments. As exposure times grew shorter, everyone believed that color photography would soon become practical. And though what practical meant was still anybody's guess, they all believed that three filtered and tinted black and white images would be combined to form one color image. Somehow. In 1895, Frederick Ives, an American inventor who created the halftone process, also invented a camera that attempted to do just that. Through the use of prisms and mirrors, a single image would enter Ivan's lens and would be split three times, and the emulsion would be exposed in three parts of a single plate. Each of these projections would pass through either a red, green, or blue filter. Once developed, these glass plates were cut into three separate slides and were then projected back through the respective colored filters to form the appearance of a color photo. This was quite an achievement, but widely impractical. Even Ives admitted that this is not the kind of color photography that the world has been looking for, because it does not produce fixed color images, which can be framed and hung upon the wall. Though impractical, it was really all they had at this point. Even better, the idea could be reproduced with three lanterns, which could project the color image onto a large screen. This was great for traveling showmen and carnivals, but was really not ready for market, at least not for the photography market. Cinematography, which was projected anyway, was the perfect outlet for Ives' invention. It wasn't Ives who took it in that direction, but his assistant, Edward Raymond Turner. In 1899, Turner and a partner, Frederick Marshall Lee, patented the three-color motion picture system. Others had tried this before, but Turner and Lee's camera was the first to actually work. That it worked at all was sort of a miracle. The camera itself required a rotating filter wheel with each successive frame being shot behind a red, green, and blue filter. Frame one was red. Frame two was green. Frame three was blue. Four was red. Five was green. Six was blue. And so on like that. The projector was even more cumbersome. It used a three lens system and a spinning filter wheel. Though it worked, nobody really wanted to use it. A few years later, this idea was simplified by G.A. Smith, who invented the two color process ditching the color blue, figuring that the human eye and the brain would figure it all out, which they did. By 1906, his system was on the market. He formed the Natural Color Kinema Color Company. A great name. Good job. (laughs) 
And produced over a hundred full-color shorts. And then came Technicolor, whose first iteration was very much like what Smith was doing, but with a twist. Using a two-color process, Technicolor's first attempt exposed two frames at once with a prism. The image would be divided and captured through a red and green filter to project it back onto the screen. A custom projector was used with two lenses and two apertures, as well as two filters, red and green. Only one movie was made with this process, The Gulf Between. And there were some major alignment issues, but soon Technicolor moved on to a different two-color process. Now, you might have seen this process on display in the Technicolor scene in 1922's Phantom of the Opera, and if you haven't, you really, really should. This process was tricky, uh, though it was captured much like their previous attempts. Before projection, however, the print was toned to the complementary colors. This fully replaced the black and white tones with color and required no filters at all. Two prints were made, one green and one red, and glued together. Once projected through a normal projector, it produced a full-color image. Before the end of the 1920s, three-strip Technicolor was born. This is the process that harkens back to the idea put forward by Frederick Ives three decades before. A single image was captured by the camera and split in three by a prism. These images pass through the typical red, green, and blue filters were simultaneously exposed onto three separate rolls of film. There is quite a bit more complexity to this, but we'll just leave it there. After processing, the three emulsions were cemented together to form a single roll. At some point, they added an additional black and white layer to boost contrast, essentially making this a CMYK print. So how do we get back to still photography? Well, we really don't. This process became part of the history of cinema and only changed with the invention of Kodachrome. For still photography, for the most part, everything remained black and white throughout this era. But still, the idea of trichromes is intriguing. Though impractical, it was possible to render a full-color image by just using three black-and-white shots. And we can replicate this today through black-and-white film and digital means. We also could use projectors, but like in the 1800s, that's pretty impractical. We've both done some trichromes. And we think you can too. <laughs> All you need are three color filters, red, green, and blue, and a photo editing software like Photoshop or GIMP. So on the next episode, we'll talk you through how we do the trichrome process. We'll show you some fine examples of our work <laughs> and hopefully get you well on your way to making your own trichromes. Huzzah! In our final segment about making a zine, we'll cover printing, selling, and all that it entails. Previously, we brought you up to the point of having your zine ready to submit to a printer. The printer is basically the final step. Here is where you choose not only the printer, but the paper for your cover and pages, if you didn't know what the printer was, I guess I had to say that. <laughs> 
We've both been using the printing company called Mixam. They are cheap, pretty good, and offer an okay variety of papers and cover stock. The soft touch lamination has served us both well for covers. For the pages, we like satin, but I've used uncoated to varying degrees of success. Once it's uploaded to their site, any problems they might have with it should be automatically caught. They don't catch typos or anything like that, of course, but if your margins are off or your photos are too low resolution, they will let you know you'll have to fix the problems and or live with them. Just a notation here, if you guys are scanning your images on your own, just scan them at high res every time. And if you need to make an additional one to share on social media or whatever, then do that. But it is such a pain in the ass to go through like four years of, ne- you know, negatives to look for a particular negative to rescan for a, a zine. It's you sound like you're speaking from experience. Yeah, <laughs> I am. <laughs> So once submitted, uh, the printing company will generally send you a PDF proof for you to approve. Once you hit OK, it's completely out of your hands. Your job there is done. So a week or two later, it'll arrive on your doorstep and you can track the printing process and the shipping and all of that along the way. When it comes to selling your zine, what you do or how you price it is completely up to you. There are, however, some guidelines that we follow. First, if you're thinking about making a living off of your zine, you should probably drop that idea right now. But if you're hoping to just break even, we think that's a pretty reasonable goal to attain. It's good to keep in mind that photography is a hobby. Even breaking even on a hobby is is unheard of. The zine will likely not pay for your cameras or your film or your travel or the development. The best you can hope for is that the zine will pay for itself, with maybe a little bit left over for the next one. Zines should be priced so that almost anyone can buy them. Sometimes Eric uses a sliding scale so that those of means can give more, and so those who can't can pay less. But whatever you do, check out the prices of other zines and see what they're charging. Charge something similar. Basically, a black and white zine of average length, say 32-ish pages, should sell for around 10 bucks. A color zine of the same size should be maybe 15-ish. We both sell our zines on Etsy, but other folks use various online marketplaces or even sell through DMs. Some even sell in person. Trading zines is something that seems to have fallen out of fashion, especially in the film photography community. While you don't get any money from a trade, you do get a new zine. If someone offers to trade you, take them up on it. Of course, you can set parameters such as trading only with those near you to keep shipping costs low. But generally, it's a good idea to offer and accept trades. It's just another way to foster a supportive relationship with other photographers. When somebody buys or trades you for your zine, we both think it's a great idea to make the transaction a bit more personal. Neither of us feel all that comfortable with signing the zines themselves, but we both add personal notes on postcards to every order. We'll even throw in some stickers or Polaroids or something, just like anything to make it a bit more personal. The experience of doing a zine often makes you a better photographer. It connects you to people in ways that just sharing your photos on the internet cannot. One zine will naturally lead to another and another. Vanya and I have both done a bunch of zines. We have kind of a lot of experience with this. So if y'all have any questions or any, need any tips or pointers or criticism of our work, feel free to, to drop us a line. We'll do what we can to help you. We just want to see more people out there buying and trading and selling scenes.
Vanya and I have always been into zines. It used to be Punk Planet, Heart Attack, and Slug and Lettuce, but now it's any damn photo zine you send us. This episode, we've got two zines, another from Kiki Wilkins and a wordy one from FPP's Mark O'Brien. Vanya, why don't you tackle Kiki's first? Okay. Views from Tucson, issue three. It's a half-side zine made with Aerochrome Kodak film. Kiki is from Tucson, Arizona, and the combination of desert landscape and Aerochrome film was kind of the most amazing thing ever. If you've been living under a rock and haven't seen Aerochrome film, Kiki explains it a bit in the introduction of his zine. Actually, he has a lot of great information about this film. Kiki always does a great job with his layout. He likes to separate his zine in parts. He has two parts. The first part is desert flora, and the second part is city views. I don't want to spoil too much about the zine. You will have to get one to find out more. If you would like to buy a copy, you can visit kikiwilkins.com for more information or DM Kiki directly on Instagram at Kiki Wilkins on Instagram. So the zine I'm handling this week is by Mark O'Brien. Now, you may know Mark O'Brien from the Film Photography Podcast. His zine is called Monochromania, and it's it's more of a zine of, well, honestly, it's more a zine about film photography than it is a film <laughs> photography zine. It sort of sounds familiar. Uh, think of this as a journal with articles about various emulsions. In this case, all slow speed emulsions. Ooh. He covers a wide variety of subjects, such as how to best shoot and develop slow speed film. It's got formulas, tips, and resources on where to buy the raw chemicals. And this is just in the first 12 pages. The bulk of the zine is devoted to reviews of a dozen different slow emulsions, most of which are still available today. From Washi to Polypan, Ilford's Pan F to Codalith, Mark's got you covered. It comes complete with sample photos and some incredibly detailed information. You can pick it up on this website, and that link will be in the show notes. So also, speaking of zines, I'm going to be in a zine coming out from Frozen Wasteland. It's a full-color zine featuring 18 or so photographers, all using Kodak Ektacolor Pro Gold 160. It's available for pre-order and eventual order from frozenwaste.land. The link is very much in the show notes. I think it's 20 bucks. Check it out if you can. And that's all the podcasts we got for you today. Tune in next week for another dev party where we'll hopefully be talking about the ECN2 process. And one more thing before we let you go. After nearly six months as a podcast, we'd like to start growing a bit. We'd like to get more people listening. So if you've made it this far into the episode... Give yourself a pat on the back, but also give us a shout out on social media. We would really appreciate it. Oh, and don't forget about the slow meow. Check out the show notes for the link to buy that film. If you'd like to contact us, we're at allthroughalens.podcast on Instagram by email allthroughalens.podcast at gmail.com. And we're at allthroughalens on Twitter. Vanya is at surfmartian. And Eric is at conspiracy.of.cartographers. Both on Instagram. And speaking of Instagram, make sure to hashtag your stuff, hashtag allthroughalenspodcast to be featured. We also do a Spotify playlist for each episode. So check those out and see what we're listening to. Just search all through a lens. 
You can also find our episodes on Spotify as well as on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and wherever the hell else you can find your podcasts. Subscribe and leave us a review. The music you're hearing now is from Last Regiment of Syncopated Drummers, which you can find at lastregiment.com. And thank you all so much for listening. We love you from the bottom of our hearts. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Vanya? Yes. Do you want to go out and shoot? Fuck yeah, I do. Let's go. Monday hot dogs, Tuesday, Tuesday tacos. tacos, Wednesday hamburgers and chocolate, milk, Thursdays, Thursdays. Uh, sloppy joes, then burritos, burritos in, in a bag. bag, Friday was <laughs> pizza day, the best day of the, the week. week. <laughs> <laughs> love that song. <laughs> I love the Aquabats, fun fact.